another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? Yo, it was good to see you in person, man, for the, I think, maybe eighth or tenth time since we started this podcast, we saw each other in person and did not do a live episode, so that's one more added to the streak, but it was awesome to see you. Though I have a, I was thinking I have a huge bone to pick, so just for the listeners, like, here we are sitting at the airport, you know, drinking our final beer of the weekend, we're at a bachelor party, and, you know, I'm over here, like, I'm already dealing with, like, the the weekend, and I'm just tired, and the whole thing, I'm like, hey, give me something relaxing to watch, like, you got any suggestions? This guy suggests you, uh, <laughs> like, this psychological thriller on Netflix, which I've avoided, I, I guess it came out in, what, 2018 or something, 2017? Yeah. It, it's, yep. it's been around for a while, right? So I've been purposefully avoiding it because... Even though they've marketed the hell out of it, I just don't like those things. I download five episodes. My internet, my flight doesn't have internet. I would have gladly tapped out and just got on the internet, watched football or something. I couldn't. I was stuck in this world with you. Now we're hooked. I'm having nightmares every night. I'm halfway through season two. This is an outright disaster. Uh, And I don't know. I, I just have to blame you, but I'm also enjoying it. So I'm just totally screwed up right now. You're hooked, man. I don't know what you're blaming me for. It's it. I told you it's. It's not a, uh, a like an award-winning show, but it's going to keep your attention. You're going to be hooked, and you you pa- that flight passed by like nothing. Those five hours get, were were amazing. And the way you prefaced it, you said it's entertaining but unrealistic, right? Which yeah. I think I agree with. Um, the other thing is like, there's so many instances. And I'm not going to spoil it in case anybody wants to watch, but there's so many instances where you're like. Not only would there be no way that this would transpire, but somebody you're like screaming to all the other characters to like figure it out or like to do anything that would resemble like a sign of intelligence. And and, you know, Joe Goldberg is just one step ahead all the time. It's too easy to get away with. Um, But, you know, I I thought about it when I recommended it. I was like, it is unrealistic. But then again, you're the guy who swears by Prison Break, a show where they've broken in and out prison like 10 times. So. No, no, no. So that one, actually, there's a pretty logical flow that you just have to understand. (laughs) Like, once you're in prison industries, you got access to the guard room. And then when you're there, you're basically halfway through the exit. Fall fall in love with the doctor. She leaves the door unlocked at the infirmary, and you're golden. Yeah, but you just explain how they break in and out multiple times, which you'd think (laughs) they'd start getting arrested for fun just to be like, (laughs) let's test out our latest set of strategies. Um, um, but but anyways, man, I echo the, the sentiment. It was good seeing you over the weekend. Um, we're wasting all this in-person time, not getting anything recorded for the pod. Although, you know, we did we did share it with, with a pretty large group of guys. So hopefully we'll see uh, we, that listenership take up. Yeah, I, be, I expect to see at least 24 new listeners per, per week here uh, with the way that we were promoting it. But Speaking of nightmares, the NBA has its own set of nightmares on its hands continually, but uh, further emphasized today. So Steve Nash is out in Brooklyn after what's been, to put it kindly, a disastrous start for the Nets. They, you know, despite all the dysfunction from the offseason, still went in as what? I want to say a top five title favorite this year, or top six at least. A lot of money coming on the Nets. They just figure, okay, healthy KD, Kyrie, Ben Simmons, they'll figure it out. Now, you know, I think they're three and six uh, or three and five. So, you know, Nash is out, which, you know, I guess you could argue that's not unwarranted. Uh, Not only did Katie ask for it directly this summer, but to be honest, Nash hasn't done a great job. We talked about that before. 
Here's the bigger issue. Within hours, maybe minutes of this firing being reported, or sorry, mutual parting of ways, Ime Udoka's name surfaces, yeah. <laughs> not only as someone they're going to reach out to, but in fact, oh wait, they already have effectively the deal ironed out, and it's very likely that he's going to be the next uh, head coach in Brooklyn. They're just completing a few last-minute diligence items. So, you know, they do know Udoka. He was an assistant in Brooklyn before he took that job in Boston. But I got to ask you, dude, like, at what point does this become such a farce that a guy who could get a season-long suspension gets another job just, you know, 10 games in, essentially, as if no harm, no foul? What does that do with the integrity of the league? We have big-picture stuff to talk about, but let's start with that particular story. I was just dumbfounded. I thought it was a joke, but... Here we are, and Odoka's likely going to be the coach in the next couple of days. The Nets have made literally the wrong move optically <laughs> every single step of the way. And it starts with ownership. It starts with Joe Sy, how he runs that organization. And it starts with Sean Marks as well because of how he enables everyone in that organization. And I think that you could argue that that is a directive coming from Joe Sy. So all in all, it starts at the top. And, and the fact that this franchise has taken the, the made the wrong decision every single time. When I say wrong decision, I don't think they handled the Kyrie vaccine situation that well. I don't think they handled the Durant situation this summer well. Obviously, they when Durant criticized the coaching, even when Kyrie, do you remember when they undermined the coaching right from the very beginning, saying that we don't really have a coach? One of us can be like from the very beginning of this this experiment. Nash was being undermined. And I think in the NBA, what we've seen is that with enough talent and enough winning, it doesn't matter what the hell happens behind the scenes. All of that is overlooked. Yeah. But unfortunately for the Nets, that hasn't happened. And all this baggage has caught up to them. And it creates a situation where it's clear that the people in power are really only Joe Sy and Durant and Kyrie. Um, and that has yep. turned this into just a ridiculous mess. I think I think the main issue though is is what you said where it's like the decision making has been so profoundly terrible. Let, let's start with Joe Sy for a second. He was getting commended at the start of last year. It, it's here's well here's my take first. It's just largely hypocritical and largely situational to decide how much of morality he wants to impose on any given situation, right? So like you start with this, you know, beginning of last year, Kyrie refused to get the vaccine. Everyone on the Nets was, you know pretty upset by it there was already the story broke that a number of the players voted on whether they thought he should be allowed to play uh, away games very uh, a lot of players including Harden said no by the way and because because the team got hit with the rash of COVID they had injuries to Durant they just changed the tune they're like you know what it's all good just play away games we think the thing's gonna go away eventually anyway so their principled stance went out the door the second uh, there was a point of need secondly KD this summer says, no, I'm out unless you fire Marks and you fire Nash. What does is, what is Cy do? He's like, listen, I'm one of the most influential businessmen in the world. You're not going to be able to push me around. I don't care what this player empowerment bullshit you guys are on about. Like, that's not how we're going to roll. And we're ultimately going to do what's right for the team. And that includes, you know, building the continuity with these management. We're not even 10 games into the next season and Nash is gone. Because he was trying to prove a point, and then it goes awry, and suddenly he's like, all right, I got to switch switch my tune. This is the most hypocritical thing. And, like, the, the other thing is, like, 
you 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 come out against the concept of what Kyrie was saying and doing with the anti-Semitism. Good. Not to equate at all what uh you know what Odoko is doing or whatever with that, but point being, you're trying to build some level of accountability in the organization. You're trying to build some level of like decency and just general like high care high character folks. I'm not saying Odoka should never work again in his life, but you again, because you saw an opportunity, are saying, okay, well, you know, these transgressions, et cetera, who knows what happened? It was probably a big misunderstanding. Welcome to Brooklyn. And I just have a huge issue with the way that he's changing tune based on what that particular moment in time is dictating for him. And it really, you know, de- you know, sort of declines his credibility quite a bit because you're not even sure how he's going to act and anything he says could be switched, you know, in the matter of weeks. You, you hit it on the head. A lot of hypocrisy, um, inconsistency in the way things are being handled. And ultimately, this is a franchise that it's clear all that matters is winning. I think we saw this with the Cleveland Browns over the mm-hmm. offseason, where at a certain point, the desperation, and I think it comes from ownership, right? So in in the Browns case, you have Haslam, uh, and the, the desire to win is so strong, you're willing to overlook a Look past all these issues and do whatever it takes to bring a guy on board that you think is going to solve the problem. I think Joe yep. Sai is taking a similar stance in that, look, we've already committed to Kyrie, KD. Why not get Udoka? At this point, you're villains anyway. We're going to do anything to, that it takes to win. Yep. But what it, the, the challenge is, first of all, it's not good for the league. Second of all, it's I don't even think that this approach – you know, we've already seen with the Nets, no matter when they had Harden, when they had Kyrie, when they had Durant, they have all the talent. And, and we've talked about it. Durant and Kyrie this year have been playing well. And it's still not working out. And I think this situation is just so combustible that at this point, it's it, it, there's no scenario in which I see this works out in the positive. So what yeah. are you costing by going and doing all these moves that is making you kind of the, the public enemy of the league. I mean, today, Charles Barkley, Shaq, went in on Kyrie. They went in on this entire situation. And it's it's getting to a point where I don't know why, and we can get to Adam Silver, but it's it's becoming a very bad look for the league, just how the Nets are operating. Yeah, I mean, they basically said, well, we didn't suspend him. The Celtics did. And that's not a league suspension. That's not our problem. So we're happy to have him back because guess what? He led he led the Celtics to the finals last year, and he's a pretty damn good coach. So if that happens here, it's no harm, no foul. And that's exactly what the Browns are thinking with Watson, right? You know, he didn't do those things under our purview. Uh, there's nothing, you know, again, totally different situations. Not trying to equivocate them. But the point more so to your, what you're saying is, turning a blind eye when it's about winning versus quote unquote doing the right thing. Now it doesn't mean that every single person that works in sports or works in any uh, you know walk of life is, is completely Teflon. But at the same point, there are things that like optics or things like recency of what just happened. And I was pretty surprised. Like to me, I always thought Udoka was going to end up in, I think I've even said this to you, maybe on the pod, I thought he was going to end up in Philadelphia when Doc Rivers was fired eventually. I thought maybe he'd end up in Brooklyn next year, kind of after he had his year away and sort of all of those things. The fact that, you know, Boston just is going to let him walk, is kind of amazing it in his own right. everything. It says everything. Uh, yeah. Um, so I was sort of taken aback by that. I wasn't aware that that was even something they were, going to do and then for them to be like yep 
let's go. Because the other name that was mentioned was Quinn Snyder, which I thought would have been an excellent hire. Um, And again, from a basketball standpoint, Udoka probably is an excellent hire, but there's other points involved here beyond just, okay, what we're, you know, what we're here for is just to win games. But, you know, they've invested so much financially, draft capital wise, time, media, you know, taking hits and every article that's written, every show that's, you know, aired that they're literally like our only way out of this catastrophe that we're in is to hold the Larry O'Brien. And if, Udoka takes us one inch closer to that than we were previously or one inch further than any coach we could acquire would, then we got to do it and just grit our teeth. And that looks to be their philosophy. And, you know, to your point, Duran and Kyrie are putting up great numbers. They're not winning. I think that's probably more concerning than anything else. It is. And I think the, the challenge they're going to have is they can bring Udoka. Udoka is a good coach, but this, this is a team that it's not just about the X's and O's. It's not about the, the schemes they run or what Sean Marks does at the deadline to, to bolster the roster. It is about managing egos. It is about managing all the noise that's going to come around Kyrie. And is Udoka the right face to even address that? He's got his own controversy swirling around him, right? So who's the leader in this organization? Who can step up? And Kevin Durant's not that leader. We've already seen we, that. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> I think we got our answer on whether and Durant's the leader. There's just no leadership. And I, and I find it hard to believe a team, an organization with no leadership can win a championship. I just – we haven't seen that ever in the league. So, yeah. You know, the other thing I was going to say is there's – we don't know the full story about Adoka. I think I mentioned this last week or the week before. I'm shocked that this story had never came out um, in full. We heard snippets, we heard sort of like anecdotal remarks, we'd have no clue, no verification. So to the extent that something quote unquote bad happened, we don't know what that is, but it clearly was bad enough that the Celtics suspended him for a full season after they took after he took them to their fi- first final since 2010, right? So in some way or form, it was bad enough to, to have gotten that punishment um, from a team who, by the way, is as much about winning as any franchise really in sports. Um, and so I think that was telling, um, and they just threw it out the, at the window, which, you know, we're, we're, I'd be, I'm, we have not heard, I don't think from Adoka, like actually, uh, beyond like maybe a, a, a written statement, his publicist put out after this incident, it's going to be fascinating to have him on the mic essentially every night, not just talking about his own shit, but talking about this absolute exactly. train wreck of a Brooklyn Nets team he's now coaching. Yeah, I mean, the way it all went down, anytime a team tries to get out ahead of it, they're proactive, right? They, they really, Without the news breaking, they made all those moves. That tells you everything. And and I yeah. think with the, with the case of Godoka, yes, we don't know. We don't know exactly what happened. But if you're a team, do your due diligence. Let all the facts come out, right? And the same thing with the Browns. They didn't do that. They signed Watson. More information started trickling out. Clearly, all the facts haven't been come out same thing in this case but you know it's winning in in any sport is the ultimate priority and and we're seeing that i think especially when you talk about coaches star quarterbacks if you're if you're a star you can get away with a lot and um it'll be interesting to see i i I can't wait to see the press conference with the doka when he's hired because he is going to get grilled and i hope the media grills him on his situation on Kyrie's situation I don't know how this is going to play out the rest of the year. Yeah, and we'll talk about the basketball uh, on court at some point in this podcast, (laughs) including in Brooklyn. But 
it should be mentioned, and we 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 talked about this as it related to Sarver and Udoka when it, that story first launched. But you look at the number of instances or issues the NBA is facing, both off the court, on the court, non basketball, basketball. Um, you know, they just started a new season. It's literally November first today. Like we're in the infancy of the twenty two twenty three season, and it already feels exhausting, and it already feels like it's been going on for six months. Like they wanted the NBA to become a twelve month league. What I'm sure they did not want were for those twelve months to be filled with a ton of bad stories that generate negative attention, negative publicity. You know, straight up mockery at times, straight up disgust at times. Like. We put together this list, honestly, like you and I were just texting because we're like, what is going on? We put together this list and what do we say? We said, okay, there are all the non-basketball situations going on. We had Robert Sarver this summer. We had Odoka originally and now it came up again. We had uh, Josh Primo, right, with with uh, exposing himself to a Spurs staffer, got released. We had uh, Kyrie Irving posting that video uh, not just the the video, the anti-Semitism video. The, the, he also posted the Alex Jones uh, interview from you know twenty years ago or whatever. We had Jalen Brown posting you know some suspect things. Then the, the whole Donna Sports thing, et cetera. Even on on the court, you got people clowning Russell Westbrook all the time. Los Angeles Lakers and Clippers as a whole. You got this Kawhi situation. You got Draymond and Poole getting into an altercation. Draymond sort of clocking him. You know. DeAndre Ayton not talking to his coach after signing a $140 million deal. Like KD's trade request, which, you know, we mentioned here. It's like, where's the good stories? Like, where who's talking about Luca and Giannis and Paolo Bancaro and Darren Fox? No, oh, sorry. No, not that last one. Um, Like, who's talking about all these good basketball stories that are happening? All we feel and see on our feet is, like, this negative shit that takes us away from the actual product. So two key things at play, right, before we dive into some of these things. One, I think it was just two years ago where the NBA doubled down on these progressive issues. They doubled down on um, being very vocal, uh, being very active in, in these different social justice um, movements. Uh, and it's all that's all for the good. But I think the expectation is always that, okay, NBA talks a big game. Adam Silver talks a big game. When other things happen that potentially impact the bottom line, right? whether we're talking about China or whether they impact the relationship with the players, when we talk about something as sensitive as this Kyrie's issue, which is, it's not a sensitive topic. Anti-Semitism, everyone understands that it is, you know, no one is on his side. The challenge is many of the players, many athletes share similar views. And they're not being vocal at a time when they need to be vocal if this really is the progressive league. So the NBA, in a way, is coming across as hypocritical. And Adam Silver is coming across as weak-fisted. And and this is something that they brought upon themselves because they wanted to be the progressive league. Now, the second issue that you brought up is usually dysfunction happens at the bottom of the NBA. Every year, it's the Kings. It's the Clippers when they were bad. And they pushed out um, oh boy, Donald Sterling. Sterling. Uh, or they're actually good, but like, you know, historically bad under Sterling, right? Um, yeah, there's yeah. dysfunction at the bottom of the league. Those things you just mentioned, whether it's the Lakers being bad, it's a controversy around the Nets, it's Udoka and the Celtics, it's Draymond and the Warriors. We're just talking about four of the premier franchises 
either based on recent success or the Lakers case, just historically how good they've been. The big markets, the marquee franchises and players are having that dysfunction. And I think that is the problem because the NBA thrives off the stars. They still thrive off the big markets. As much as we like talking about Paolo and Keegan Murray and Jade and Ivy, the general public loves the stars. And so what's in the spotlight is all the dysfunction that is result like, that is happening in these big markets. And so I think that's the way I group these two issues. And that's why it's been so tough for the league, I think, these last couple of months. We do need to do a separate podcast just talking about this rookie class because they're all absolutely insane. Um, you know, I was watching Shaden Sharp the other day and I was like kind of blown away because I was high on him pre-draft and he comes into summer league and it's like, oh my God, this could be a train wreck of epic proportions. Dame is already kind of like, you know, frustrated, et cetera. And now the Blazers look awesome. He specifically looks like he could be a guy. We need to do a second podcast on Johnny Davis solely, um, <laughs> and the the uh, what's that all what that has already become. But I, I thought that there are several things you said that 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 uh, piqued my interest. The first, um, you know, about the fact that it is weak fisted, right? Because social justice is not a binary concept. There's not always a side of good and a side of bad. That everyone who is good will agree to the good and everyone who's bad will agree to the bad, right? People have different takes on different issues. So China, for example, is, is a great way to look at one thing that like the good side would probably say, hey, by the way, you need to speak out on some of the stuff that's happening, whether it's the Uyghur Muslims or whatever else, right? But at the same time, those same good people are, are, are you know, passionate about other topics, which are good, but they can't speak on this because that affects their business, right? And so it's much more complicated than I think you know, Silver started his reign kicking out Donald Sterling, which had a universal approval rating. And by the way, not just because of what Sterling did, but also because of how much he was hated for the way he was cheap and et cetera. So it started out this like platform he could never reach again because it was the easiest decision in the world. If you made, if you, made you and me commissioner, we do the exact same damn thing within minutes of taking that role. Right. And so I think because of that, it painted this like sense of like he knew exactly what to do in every conflict situation. Like you talk about the Kyrie thing. It's like, anti-Semitism does not seem like it would be a topic that would require much debate, right? Yet there is, um, not publicly, um, and, you know, not from many more people beyond, you know, what Kyrie said, what Kanye said, but at the same time, Sean Marks still is not a making Kyrie available to the media. He actually was like, we don't want to create more fuss. We just want this to move on. It's like, dude, don't you, doesn't your guy deserve to, to sort of face the music? Right. Like, shouldn't he respond in a way that is sufficient or at least, uh, you know, clarifying enough what he meant? Or if he didn't mean it, why didn't he mean it? If he did mean it, why did he mean it? Like, shouldn't he be a, have to do that? But no, we're taking him off the books and it's going to make his life easier. And that's to your first point. I thought, like, it's not been easy because it's not one thing that is the right way or the wrong way to think because there's, 50 different topics that you could have a perspective on. Secondly, it's funny because the Knicks are always bad, right? So in a way, the Knicks are supposed are like the leaders of dysfunction. And everyone's like, well, if only they got it together, how could the biggest you know, team in the biggest city not have their shit together? And it was always, it's always confusing to me. 
the Knicks are probably the least dysfunctional right now of this, this some of this group, right? Also like with what's going on, <laughs> they're, just, they're also the least yeah. interesting. They're finally doing what they were tr- trying to do is not be in the headlines for the wrong reasons. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like even the Warriors and the Celtics who played in the title uh, last year, Warriors obviously won. Feels like there's something kind of off with the way that they've started the season, um, or at least the Celtics have rebounded, but the Warriors are still dealing with it. And so, I don't know if that's just chance. Like, what do you think? Is that just kind of luck that it's them and not the bottom feeder Kings, Wizards, you know, uh, throw whatever Detroit, Orlando. Is that all it is? It's just sort of chance. I think it's, I think it's chance. I think just the fact that all these teams are having these issues in the same season. Whereas normally, you know, every year there's probably one top team, one big market that has these high profile issues. I honestly think it's a chance that all this is happening together. But it's also a symptom of the player empowerment era. A lot of these things are a symptom of the player empowerment era. And not, not just yeah. player empowerment in that sense, but a guy like Draymond, who means everything to the Warriors franchise, they didn't suspend him solely because, and this isn't obviously, hasn't been declared as the official reason, but everyone's pretty much agrees that they needed him to be there for the ring ceremony. So it's a slap on the wrist punishment. Um Right, and then Dude, you by just the way, yeah. why he he lost his right to do that when he clocked his teammate out of nowhere? I agree, right? And and you have guys like Steve Kerr standing up for him, uh, not taking a hard stance. And then obviously you mentioned Sean Marks and, and the press conference, and, and these guys are all coddled. They're all coddled at the top. And Westbrook is another perfect example you mentioned who's being absolutely coddled because look how long it took to bench him. Frank Vogel could not do it. Even Ham, this season, it took a while. He finally did it, um, but it took a while, caused a lot of controversy. And it's just all these guys are coddled, and that's what we're seeing. Um, and even in organizations where, you know, you think an organization like the Spurs or one, you know, like the Heat, where culture matters above everything else, what we're seeing with even these winning teams is they bend. They bend easily um, to the players. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the point you made is right, is the chance is develop. It's like forced chance, right? Because not only the player empowerment era leads to players being coddled, it also leads to like free agent and trade movement we really haven't seen in league history, all of which are sort of gravitating towards the biggest markets, right? Like Durant's going to go to New York. LeBron's going to go to LA. Russ is in LA. Like AD, like all of it is like the biggest names that are creating a lot of these challenges play for these teams. Obviously, they don't they don't play for the small markets anymore. And then the ones who do, like the Giannis Lillard crew, do so for a reason, right? Because they aren't necessarily into this uh, drama filled kind of approach. Um, yeah, I think it's fascinating, man, because I say this all the time: like the NBA and the players are equity partners. Like they cannot have differing interests because as the game grows, as the money grows, they both benefit. Now, you know, Bill Simmons talking about, first of all, I can't wait till we hear Bill Simmons tomorrow talk about the Odoka situation. I'm very curious for what he has to say. Um, less so on whether Claypool was worth a second round pick by the Bears or not. <laughs> but um, I, the, the, the thing that's most interesting as it relates to um, this, this salary cap is everyone seems to be pretty convinced that it's going to jack up to a rate that's, really unimaginable, right? Like he talks about player maxes being $70 million or whatever else. And we'll see if we get there, but at what point is this not good business for the, for the, you know, 
for the media rights. And maybe it's not because we're still seeing ratings go up. We're still seeing live TV rights being the one thing that doesn't seem to have a ceiling. I'm just curious if we're ever going to bump up against what the max is that this league interest-wise can generate and whether that ultimately has an effect if you see a declining slope or if you see an outright decline in league revenue. I don't think it'll happen anytime soon. Um, the outrage we see, the feelings we have, we live in our Twitter bubble. We live in our Reddit bubble where it's magnified yeah. and amplified. You go to a game, You go. let's say you go to a Nets game. Yes, we had that that group of people in the front row, you know, make, trying to make a statement with their shirts. 90% of that audience are just going to cheer Kyrie. It's the casual fan. Yeah, cheer him if so, he plays well, boo him if he doesn't yeah, play well. The casual fan is so far removed that I don't think this impacts the bottom line. Um, I mean, it, it is the, the league, if anything, if, if you talk about why the ratings are down, maybe compared to five years ago or six years ago, that has more to do with just the nature of society and how we consume sports content. No one, no one wants to spend three hours every other day watching an NBA game when you have all these other forms of media. So I think that's a, a bigger driver. I don't think all these issues is necessarily hurting the NBA's bottom line yet. It could get to you know a what, point where it does, but I don't think it. You know what that reminds me of? You know the meme uh, where like the guy who's super smart is like very frustrated on the bus and the guy who uh, doesn't have a care in the world is quote unquote unsophisticated is looking out the window like yep. happy and, yeah. and like joyful. Were those angry people and all these casuals, uh, alleged fans looking at the world being like, that boy, nice. What do you want me to do? Like, I don't care. I don't know. Like, let's go. Like, I love this. And, you know, maybe that's what it is. The other thing we didn't even talk about, by the way, which I think is a big factor is, is load management, which was almost like the, the, the great grandfather of player empowerment, right? Because once you stop playing every night, like we do the spreads thing, uh, which, I've, you know, if you've listened to us long enough, you know. Spreads is almost impossible now because I never know who's on the court and the lines aren't exactly clear because like you never know if it's like, okay, maybe it's priced in that it was a back to back on the road or because someone's out or because X, Y, Z and like some nursing injury, maybe the minutes restriction, maybe they're playing, maybe they're not suddenly Kawhi's coming off the bench and then Kawhi's just gone for five weeks. Like I, it is impossible to watch a night, night-to-night game of basketball and have any sense of what's coming other than my boys Giannis, Luka, and Jokic are going to be suiting up. That's like the only thing we can count on right now. And LeBron. And LeBron. LeBron will be suiting up for better or worse. Until he hits Kareem's record. Until, um, yeah. <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the, is that like 60 games in? What's the, like the projection? I, I think it was something like 50, 60. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, he's, he's well on his way. He's the numbers wise, is he's doing just fine. Oh yeah, I mean he's probably close to thirty a game, right? Yeah. Um, you're right. I mean, I think the player, the the load management is definitely one of these issues that will have an impact. I mean, because at some point people are going to stop going to games, and it affects ticket revenue. Um, if you know that these guys aren't going to be playing on a night to night basis, why go to a game? Uh, and yeah, because you have to plan in advance. It's like scary. Scary. It's unpredictable. Clearly, it's unpredictable because they they make these decisions last minute. There's no rhythm to it. If they said, "Okay, Kawhi is going to sit every second game of a back to back," which it seemed like that was kind of the the mindset. Now he's just sitting games left and right, and he's got an injury. And so, I agree. It's hard to predict. Um, I think though, you know, 
let's uh, the one positive thing I do want to say. I think in five to six years, we will clear most of these issues. I think we're left with a generation of players um, that grew up in a very different era. Uh, and when I talk about the generation, it's not even just the old heads like LeBron. Um, it's guys like Harden, who's not old per se. It's guys like Kyrie, also not old. But I, I think I have more faith in the youth of the league. Like you just talked about Giannis, who's not old, uh, who's not young, but Luca, Ja, like these Tatum. guys I think are built a little bit different. Even Zion, right? As yeah. much fun as we made of him sticking with New Orleans, really having a different attitude as the Bills, Ben Simmons of the world. I think we are entering an era where these guys play video games more than going to the clubs. They care about the big markets less than the small markets, or they don't have such. You've a been opinion. you've been high on this video game theory since I met you. I think, I've been, really. dude, I'm very high on this video game theory because I think it makes it like that's the difference between James Harden and a guy like Darren Fox who doesn't do anything in his spare time but play video games. Um, and I really think that we will be in a better position in five or six years. I just think we need to clear out the Westbrooks, Durants. Kyrie's like all the problems are with these guys. Harden is not a problem anymore, but he all these prima donnas, all the yeah. prima donnas. I don't see a lot of prima donnas, and who knows, things can change as you get older and as you get better. But I, I just think we'll be in a better place five, six years. From now. Yeah, and as you were talking, I was going back to what those guys were like on their first contracts when KD was thought of as like the greatest thing since sliced, sliced bread. He literally just tweeted out his five year extension with OKC, like it was matter of fact, and like life was good and that was that was the era that Jason Tatum's in now Luka Doncic is in now Trey Young Zion Williamson like entering their first contracts or into their first contracts a couple years and when I say first I mean first max contract so I'm John Moran same thing I'm curious if it will have a shift and should certainly will with some guys right and I'm also curious to see how player movement changes like just because Ja got drafted by Memphis, that's no reason that he has to spend the next 15 years playing for them. If he wants to, great. But the curious thing to me is how they choose to leave, because I think one of the worst things that's happened now is that you sign the contract knowing you can ask out. I think that ruins really just competitive balance. It ruins planning. It ruins any type of like uh, foresight with, with how you want to construct your roster. Uh, when do you want to have assets ready for – you know, additions at the trade deadline, et cetera. Like, what was it? Ben Simmons got, he, he was like, uh, they asked me to get better. I don't want to do that. Uh, I'm I'm asking out with four years left on his deal. Yeah. Durant tried to do the same shit. He's like, I just signed the extension. It hasn't actually even kicked in, but I'm out of here. Like, this sucks. He did it a couple of years. Hey, did he did it? Like, Harden was a free agent to be, but... He did it two straight times, like, you know, and like Ben, no wonder Ben Simmons always hangs out with like LeBron and Tristan Thompson. He really is of that <laughs> older generation. Um, you know, I, that's the thing I'm going to be interested in. Again, doesn't mean Tatum has to play for the Celtics forever, but when he leaves, if he leaves, how will that transpire is something I'm interested to see. Yeah. And, and yeah. All, all By the way, guys, Paul George, who we don't talk about now because he's where he wanted to be, did it twice. He, he got out of Indiana, him. and then he forced his way out of OKC. You know, they were happy to oblige, but it doesn't mean he didn't request it. 
I think the most amicable model is what happened with Donovan Mitchell, where he gave Utah a lot of good years. Um, and at the end, I think both parties were okay, right? Utah was fine. They want him to succeed somewhere else. Um, he wanted to be somewhere else, and it didn't work out in their time together. And he's doing amazing for Cleveland right now. And I think that – so I don't think the movement is the problem. Like, we don't need guys to stay 15 years with every franchise, but you're absolutely right. It's the way – are these guys going to hold franchises hostage? Yeah. Or are they going to leave in a more, um, you know, just a normal way? Um, yeah, totally. Um, let's talk, let's talk on court stuff. So we focused a lot of these big market teams. Let's actually talk about how they're doing and why they're doing the way they are. So the nets, let's start there. We spend a ton of time talking about them. This is a team who, you know, they lost tonight after being up by as much as I want to say 13 points versus the Bulls, just got blown out in the fourth quarter. They're now uh, three and six. Um, and, and the reality is you're trying to look at it like, or sorry, two and six. I apologize. They just got their second win last night versus Indiana. I guess, like, is this salvageable? Um or, or do you see that the flaws of this team, which are primarily defense, you know, even shooting, which was not thought of one, and, and overall depth are kind of just fatal flaws? Fatal flaws. This team is this team is done. Um, wow. There's no move. There's no chess moves to make. There, Simmons's value has only plummeted given the start to the season. Um, yeah. He's not worth anything at this point. How? Kyrie, do you? I mean, I don't know what it's possible to move him. You're not moving Durant, and you look at this roster, man. I like you. You said they don't have depth. They don't have the shooting. You know, we assume Joe Harris, uh, Royce O'Neal, Patty Mills to an extent, right? These guys could help supplement that scoring burden. Uh, ben Simmons, if he even gave you 15, 16 a game, which is not even his peak. He peaked at what 18, 20? Um, yeah, I thought he was going to be at like in the teens. And he's averaging six points a game. Uh, so they have a lot of problems. And when Nick Claxton's your third best scorer at 12 points and your top two scorers are Kevin and Durant and Kyrie, who are above 30 each, this is not a roster constructed to win even in the postseason. So I, I don't even buy the argument that they can enter a sixth seed and then ride Kyrie and KD heroics because they're riding those heroics right now. And they're losing on a weekly or a nightly basis to – even some of the dreg, the teams in the, you know, the dregs of the league. Remember last week when I said I'd never seen a LeBron season where it felt like such empty calories. Um, I'm extending that statement and maybe doubling that up for Kevin Durant, who is putting up what you would look at as like very good numbers: thirty-two, five, and four, shooting over fifty percent from the field, ninety percent from the line, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter. You know, once I saw that Memphis game where he was incredible, he couldn't miss, and he was having no impact on the court, not necessarily all his fault, right? Obviously, some of it's because their teammates aren't getting stops. And I'm like, he can't, at this age, do much more. Yeah. He's never been a guy like Harden who could just take over the entirety of the offense, scoring, playmaking, et cetera, for a whole season. He's done it in playoff series. We've seen that, but he can't do it for a whole season. Now you have Kyrie, who, again, stats look good, zero impact. Team sucks. They're not trying at all. And okay, what? Joe Harris picking up his three point percentage by eight to ten points. That's going to make the whole difference. Seth Curry coming back. I just 
And these guys are all minus defenders, too. That's the biggest problem. And Ben Simmons, even though he's been good at times, his defense is fouling like a crazy person, right? He looks like Triple J was told, like, hey, actually, you get eight fouls if you want to foul out. Like, Triple J, who loves fouling more than anyone in the league, he he's looking at Ben Simmons being like, dude, teach me your ways. Like, I don't – I don't know, man. Like, Udoka's going to come midseason and fix this thing? Like, And Simmons on the court is, has looked just shook. He's not. He's passing up open open opportunities. Um, he's not in, like Bruce Brown. I always we always talk about a lot of people talk about like a supercharged version of Bruce Brown is what you're putting into this offense. Don't need a ton of scoring, but can play make operate out of that like high post um, cut a uh, drive and cut or drive and dish. He's not doing. I mean, he's not giving you. Any, Bruce Brown gave you what ten points a game. He's he's yeah, giving you I mean, half of that. So uh, at I this mean, point, Simmons, the defense, you can talk about his defense all you want, but none of it can compensate for just the net zero he's been on offense. And what did I say last year? I said, what did I say is my rationale for the over? I said last year, Durant games played. He was there on a 54-win pace, um, and he only played 55 games. You know, you added Simmons, Royce O'Neal, TJ Warren. You added um, Seth Curry, who was hurt last year. You added uh, Joe Harris, who barely played. And all you really lost from your rotation was Bruce Brown and Andre Drummond. That seems like a positive trade. And it, you know, some are not the equal of its parts right now. Um, And I think this may be the unhappiest team in the league. And to your point, they have no more assets. Like, what is the move? They don't have another move to go make. There's nothing. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, Seth Curry just came back. Is he going to change things? No. He's, he's still a role player at the end of the day. So, And he's really good, but I don't know. Like, I was thinking, should they do the Kyrie for Russ in two first trade? Just get it over with because it's Kyrie experiment. At this point, they're all in. Like, what is that going to do? Yeah, it gives you two picks. You're solving something for Kyrie, but. I guess the question is, can you flip Kyrie later? Or do you think that that ship has sailed? Sorry, can you flip Russ later? I apologize. Like, no. Let's say you tr- no. you get the a couple assets. You're desperate for assets. Can you trade Russ for anything of positive note? Like take on a bad contract somewhere. No, you can't. Or is it done? It's done. It's toast. This is problematic. Your other option is to do something really wild, like KD and Kyrie for AD and Russ in those picks, which we've talked about. And at least you can stay somewhat good around AD's productivity if he plays, but he doesn't look necessarily. That like sounds so depressing. I yeah. No, like if you're the Nets fans, the eight <laughs> fans of that arena are definitely not showing up the next night. You're going down in flames with this, and and if there's any consolation, it's that Kyrie or KD and Kyrie have already made took, taken such a big hit to their rep. That their only incentive you'd think is to play well the rest of the year and to try to salvage some of that by playing good basketball, winning a title. But then again, Kyrie immediately after all this went ice cold today. So I don't know. Yeah, he didn't even score his <laughs> first field goal until like midway through the third. Yeah. You know what's funny is like I, when the Boston Brooklyn catastrophe trade happened, I was upset because I don't like Boston teams, right? So all those assets were going back there, which sucked. I like Houston, right? Like, I like Jalen Green. I thought at the time that they had a pretty good trade for for uh, Harden, and I liked that they took the picks over Simmons. And 
I like what they've put together. They still don't really have a number one, I don't think. Right? Maybe it's Jalen Green. Maybe it's I definitely don't think it's Jabari Smith. I think he's like a role player. He's been good. He's been good. No, he's been super solid. He's Shangun, but like they're gonna have so many bites at the apple if this thing blows up the way it looks like it's headed. Like they have four unprotected, four swaps. I think some of that's already converted, but they just need a couple of these to really go south, and suddenly they're picking the top five, maybe for their own self and for Brooklyn. Exactly. And then this year, if you get two bites, do they have Brooklyn's pick this year? They do, I think. They have it like right. every year. They have either their pick or the swap for, for the swap. next like eight, eight years. They did four first and four swaps. Because I was going to say, I mean, if you get two bites of the apple for. Uh, oh, I don't know if they mean, have their own. It might be a swap. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think you really think Brooklyn's going to be bad enough where we're talking Wemby. I mean, maybe. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. If it's a swap, no, it doesn't matter. You still so. All um, right, let's um, let's talk. Let's anything else on Brooklyn? No, nah, man, I'm done with Brooklyn. Um, okay, let's switch coasts. Let's start with the Clippers, a team that I liked a lot, picked as my title favorite. Did not take the over on for reasons we discussed, but this is like. This is maybe the worst, most unpredictable version for me, personally. I know there's people out there saying, this Clippers team, we keep crowning them the deepest team of all time. Who cares Like if their top guys aren't playing? I guess I just didn't expect Kawhi to already be out, and maybe that was really, really dumb of me. But, dude, they have the actual worst offense in the league, like 30th out of 30. Mm-hmm. And Paul George has looked bad. Kawhi's played two games. John Wall's sitting back-to-backs, and he might be their damn third-best player after not playing all of last year. Norm Powell can't fucking buy a basket. Neither can Reggie Jackson. Like, panic meter, 10 games in, 1 out of 10 for the Clippers? 6. 6? Okay. So, uh, so, I mean, because everyone always talks about how we don't have enough data points of the Clippers actually being a good team. I think we have more data points than than anything that this is a a well-coached team veterans uh, they can survive without Kawhi. they can survive without paul george they can keep the ship sailing until the postseason where you hope that Kawhi and paul george are healthy if those guys are healthy it's it's anyone's game outside of the bubble season those two if you put them on a court you know there's you can see them winning a, a title or having at least a path towards the title I think the challenge, though, right? I think the challenge is some of those role players that did play well in the past, it's all kind of falling apart a little bit. Reggie Jackson, who's been heralded the last couple seasons, is kind of back to that version in Detroit. I don't remember a little bit of a gunner too much and inefficient. The scoring yeah. is not there, and it's hurting the team. Norm Powell looks like a shell of himself. I don't know what is up with him, but he is not shooting well, um, not getting sort of the rim the same way. And then, you know, you have a lot of other guys who are just underwhelmed, like Marcus Morris, Zubach. These guys aren't – they don't have hot peaks. They're very steady. But if you're not getting those minutes from Kawhi, no one on this roster can salvage those nights where Paul George is struggling um, and the defense isn't, isn't, isn't playing well. So – I that's why I think they have enough talent with with Kawhi to to be fine in the playoffs, but it is alarming that they're struggling this much 
on offense specifically, like you mentioned. Well, everything's predicated on it being 2019 Kawhi and Paul George. And I, I'm telling you, I'm not saying that I'm like sitting here telling people that they are idiots. Like I believe and believe the same perspective, which is the entire the entire thesis is built around we have two stars who are two top 10 players in the league. And what we're seeing is Paul George has not played like a top 10 player in the league at all. He is streaky, right? So he could have five games where he looks like Michael Jordan and five games where he looks like Jeffrey Jordan, right? We've known this. But more importantly, Kawhi's not playing at all, and they're starting to label it not injury management, <laughs> which is big because, and obviously if it was injury management, you likely wouldn't expect him to miss four or five games in a row, which he has. It's more of like, okay, not playing on the second half of a back-to-back, et cetera, et cetera. If he's actually hurt again or if he's had any kind of setbacks, like this all goes way out the window and this becomes a disaster near levels with Brooklyn, given how many draft assets they owe um, to Oklahoma City. And although they don't have the drama of a Brooklyn, they do have the risk of being lottery team without one or both of those guys, which we saw just last year. So all the depth only looks good when you have the two players at the top right now, they don't. And they're like, well, why isn't Robert Covington being playing better? Or why isn't Nick Batum playing better? It's like, they're probably playing as well as they normally do. It's just, you have other guys who can cover it up. Now you don't. You're right. But you know, at the end of the day, they're three and four. They're not one. And this is a team that can easily turned around, be an eight seed, ninth seed. Um, that's not the goal here. What are we talking about? Eight that's seed, not the goal, seed. but your boy Kawhi won't suit up for a game, and you were ready to crown him Jordan three years ago, right? So I, I think the criticism was all on Kawhi. I think Kawhi is the biggest fraud this league has seen in the last five years and has gotten more credit for anyone who skirts games. I guess that's why the Jordan comparisons come, because Jordan just up and left, and <laughs> Kawhi is doing the same, taking a nice long vacation. He's like, my favorite moment of my so hero I, Jordan's re- career do, was retiring. Do you not remember how much I hated Kawhi? And I'm just and somehow he skirts past all this criticism. It's like no injury, no load management, or there's some injury. Everything's so mysterious. He's just not playing. But everyone loves his interviews and his his like yeah. The biggest well, no, they love what he did in 2019 when he single handedly carried the Raptors past the Butler and Bede Simmons Sixers, the Giannis Bucks, and the Warriors with Curry and Draymond and Clay. Nonetheless. The bigger issue is that it appears that he may actually be hurt. If he plays 50 games a year because he's load managing, it's annoying as shit, but at least you're like, all right, whatever. This guy's going to, in theory, play every night in the playoffs. If he's actually hurt or something's wrong with that knee, we got much bigger problems if you're a Clippers fan, as as I am. Well, that's at this, that's at this point, there must be something seriously wrong with his knee. If he took off the entire year and he's still not right, yeah. It must be. So yeah, Literally maybe yeah, there. maybe the the alarm level is higher than six. You're right. Maybe it's seven or eight. But I just think that if if they can get him back to anything resembling what he was, even last year or sorry, the year before, um, then they we could have be something still in play. Fine. Yeah, because yeah. I still thought in 2021 he was the best player in the league. Like what he did to the Mavs um, and what he did to the Jazz before he got hurt was legendary shit. Same as 2019, but since then and even really post quad injury and even what he did in 2017 if you remember like when he was single-handedly up 20 on the and then Zaza or Zaza yeah so the reason why people are, are on this dude is because when he plays he's basically 
the best or second best player in the league. He just never plays. I don't know what to make of well, that. Well, yeah, you can you like, can just pick and choose your moments, right? Well, when you have two Finals MVPs, you certainly are you know get a little bit of an allowance there. Um, sure. His two are worth more than KD's two. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Oh, I mean that. I don't think doesn't it's... mean I would rank Kawhi above KD, but I think their peaks. Give me Kawhi's peak over KD's peak, and I don't know that I've ever said that Ooh. before, but I would, I would, and give me Kawhi's uh, peak over Steph's peak. I, w- there's, I two, would not... there's two guys peak I would take over Kawhi all time. Like, sorry, two guys like in the NBA right now, but they're all time <laughs> peaks. It's 2013 LeBron and 2021 Giannis. Yeah. Would you agree with that assertion? 2000 Shaq. No, no, sorry. <laughs> Dude, you think I would forget Jordan? I'm talking about active players, but <laughs> they're all time peaks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Kawhi, then it's Jerry Westbrook. No, I'm dude, I'm talking about these current guys. Because, right, yeah, like, yeah. to me, then you got 20, what, 15 or 6. See, 2016 Steph was the best version of him, but they lost. That was a 3-1 year. Mm-hmm. So maybe, what, 2022 Steph? But then he didn't have his, I don't know. So it gets complicated. Yeah, yeah. But, but- nonetheless, my point is, like, his greatness can't be denied. It's just... He's denying it us, de- denying us of it. Well, his greatness cannot be denied, but he's denying us of it. That marinate is, on that, that for is a little so bit. cool. That is so cool. Marinate, well, marinate that while we go to our next team, which is the aforementioned Los Angeles Lakers. This is somehow like I like I told you, Clippers were the last in the league in um in offense, the Lakers come in right below that, uh, right above that, I should say, at, at uh, I think they're 29th here. Uh, yep, 29th on offense, somehow third on defense, which is, I guess, They've something been very good defensively. But still 26th in the net rating because their offense is just that bad. Um, they're 1-5. in five. They did get a surprise win over the Jokic Nuggets on Sunday, who have not looked awesome, but we can talk about them later when it's not a, you know, DEFCON 1 episode. Um, so the Russ move, you mentioned it. It has helped. They've certainly looked better. Um, but we don't know how long that's sustainable because we also don't know when people's injuries are going to happen. This is an old team. This is a team that relies on 36-year-old LeBron and 136-year-old AD. So I guess, like, what, what's your opinion of this team? Has it changed since preseason? And do you think they have a chance uh, at a top six seed and play in? No chance at a top six seed unless they shake things up at the, the deadline. Um, the shooting, man, I just – there's nothing – you know, there are teams that are struggling right now, and you can say it's regression. You know, they'll get regression to the mean, going through a bad streak. I, I think the, the Lakers, if anything – if there's any regression to happen, it's maybe on defense, where right now they're getting a locked-in LeBron. Um, Anthony Davis, I think, was like the only player averaging two blocks, two steals. He's been great defensively. Um, and can you count all those things to last throughout the entire season? I don't think so. But at the same time, you, you know, people argue that the shooting, they're going through a slump right now. They are. They're going through a historic slump in terms of shooting three. But no one on this roster looks like they – they're capable of being league average three point shooter. You know, when you look at Austin Reeves, Kendrick Nunn, Pat Bev, 
I mean, Matt Ryan is the only guy shooting well for them, and he's like, you know, he's he got benched by the Colts. So I, I don't know what they're expecting from the rest of this team. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's been anemic. Um, it's weird because I thought the roster, again, a total misread on my part. I thought the roster was, in a way, a little bit better constructed because they weren't so damn old uh, like the last year's team. But at least last year's team could shoot. You had Malik Monk, you had Carmelo Anthony, you had uh, shit, even DJ Augustine when they signed him could shoot. And ultimately, that's the only thing LeBron's ever needed around him, or the only consistent thing that's worked around LeBron. I always find it odd when teams just outright ignore that um, in the name of whatever else. Even a couple of the earlier pre AD versions of these teams tried that, right? Where they're like, oh, let's pick up Rondo, let's pick up all these dudes who are going to take the playmaking load lance stevenson it's like that's not he's never gonna give that up like imagine lucas 38 you think he's just gonna park out <laughs> in the corner and let people do their thing no he's gonna be on ball as long as he's physically able to which lebron clearly is and so you know because of that i just think that i i don't know shooting in theory is a very easy thing to go get but like with anything they don't have anything to trade and nobody wants the scrap heap of players they have. Like, nobody's going to start giving them shooters for Lonnie Walker or for Patrick Beverly or whoever else. And that's, I think, is something that, hey, look, that's why Rob Polinka got the extension, right? They have faith in him to figure this out. And the, the sad thing is the heel-turner trade was a hot topic last year. Uh, then everyone cooled down on it, being like, why? That's nothing. You're going to trade away two first-round picks for that? The sad thing is that price probably went back up because Heald is is balling. Uh, Turner, I guess he lost. They lost leverage with Turner because he publicly announced he wants to play for LA. But uh, <laughs> that yeah. was wild. Um, but you know, I also don't think the Lakers. Everyone knows the Lakers have no leverage, and they have those two picks sitting. And but if you're LA at the same time, I think you have to pull a desperation trade and just talk yourself into. A Buddy Heald and a Miles Turner giving you one shooter, extra shooter, one extra piece on defense who can keep you really solid at that end, and depth for Anthony Davis. Uh, and just pray that LeBron and AD continue to play like this the rest of the season and maybe sneak in as a sixth seed. But yeah, I, I, I think this there is nothing much they can do. Um, and that makes me happy because... You know what I would consider, which is kind of I don't know if if uh, if they would go for it or not, but I would consider trading both picks, but heavily protecting them in a way that like a lot of times you can't protect picks because, and I've talked about this, you can't protect picks because they roll over to the next year, and you can't have two outstanding picks at once, right? So you can't have the 27 pick roll over to 28 if you've already given up the 29 pick because you're not allowed to have 28 and 29 out at once, right? We've talked about this. But, like, the way that they should consider do, and similarly, even though the 29 is the last pick, you don't want to protect it forever because, like, that's the situation the Wizards are in. Because, for example, the Wizards only have one pick outstanding, but yet they can't trade a first until 2028. Why? Because the picks rolls over protection year over year over year until 26. Now, what if the Lakers did this? Now, would you go for this? You basically top 10 protected or top 5 protected in 27. That's the real carrot, right? And if it doesn't convert in 27, it becomes two first two seconds automatically or something like that. 
then you top 10 or, or lottery protect the 29. And if it doesn't convert that year, it becomes two seconds. So you're basically taking a one-year bet twice on the Lakers being bad. And that way they don't completely mortgage their future. And even if they do give up the picks, they're a playoff team where they're not a terrible team. Would that interest you if you're someone like Indiana? To me, it would because you're gonna these guys don't mean anything to you and Russ comes off your books anyway this summer. Yeah, if I'm Indiana, I, I for sure. Why not? And you're only going to get worse this season and put yourself in the sweepstakes. So it's a no better for Indiana. It's just a matter for the Lakers. Do they think they can get a better return? Because they know. The reason they haven't done this deal yet is they know it doesn't move the needle enough. That's and it's not worth giving those two extra picks. So they already know that. But at the same time, I have not heard a single trade proposal or anything I could think of that a team would be remotely interested in outside of that. I mean, Simmons threw a wild idea, wild idea out today about De'Aaron Fox for the, the two picks and Westbrook, which uh, he got clowned on, rightfully so. Because when, when did he say that? He tweeted that out today, and then he, he immediately responded it. by saying Sacramento would say no to that. But it's like, then why'd you propose it? It's like he always yeah, proposes he the saw trade. His replies. The classic, like, I only thought about how one team would react to this with a side that I wanted to make the trade for. Yeah, and and, and um, someone pointed out, it's like, you know, on the pod where he asks, he puts a hypothetical trade and asks Rosillo if he'll do it. Rosillo says no, and then Simmons goes, me neither. <laughs> it's like, no, you, you really thought it would be a good trade until someone said no. But. Well, you know, the Lakers, are, I think, are going to give us – season-long excitement. They do have a couple, quote-unquote, winnable games. Damn it, I keep saying quote-unquote. But they keep, they can't have a couple winning potential games coming up. But, you know, those are against Utah, who, by the way, is 6-2 and two and looks awesome and beat the shit out of Memphis last night uh, after beating them on Saturday. So we'll see what happens. Final team to quickly hit on, the Warriors. They are 3-5. Um, and five, uh, And, you know, I'm just trying to make sure I got the records from tonight. Yeah, 3-5. and five. So prior to tonight... 18th on offense, 23rd on defense, and you know they were a bad offensive team last year, too. They finished the regular season 18th. The only thing is they were first defensively. Um, not seeing that kind of defense at all this year. It's about as bad as it's been in the – it is as bad as it's been in the Steve Kerr era by a country mile. Is this Draymond and chemistry? Is this too much Wiseman who still doesn't know what he's doing after three years? Is this just a bunch of young guys who are running around gunning and non-defensive players like – what do you see here? And again, I'd same question. Like, what's your panic meter at? Is this real or is this a blip? They're in a weird transition phase right now. Um, I mean, defensively, they've fallen off, like you mentioned. They were first last year, but fifth the year before. So they were, they've always been a outside of the year where they completely kind of had to tank and mail it in. They've always been a top defensive team. And this is the same cast of characters, and they're not producing defensively. And they're in a weird situation where uh, – the appeal of the Warriors going into the season was even as Draymond declines, even if Clay and Steph start to decline, you have the new wave of guys coming in. Poole has already shown he can handle the scoring burden. You have Dante DiVincenzo, who plays defense, can shoot. You have Kuminga and Moody, year two. They got good minutes last year. You have Wiseman coming back. The challenge is the drop off with Draymond and Clay has been bigger than expected. More importantly, Clay who his scoring has dropped off a cliff. He's not shooting well. He's only averaging half a shot, half a make more than Draymond. He's pretty much, I mean, he's scoring more points because he shoots threes, but pretty much you talk about 
Think like, about that for a second. When is the last time both of those guys were neck and neck in terms of the buckets made in a game? Um, That's a wild stat. Yeah. And and so th- that drop off has been big, and, and Draymond's been you know it's not the same defensively, and they're not getting anything from the young guys. Like Steve Kerr is still not giving big minutes. Um, like Kuminga's only getting ten minutes a game. Uh, Wiseman gets about fifteen, but these guys aren't ready to step in and take over that burden. And so I, I think they're in this weird gap year where they just the top end talent isn't good enough to carry them night in night out anymore. Um, and of course, this is an overreaction. They're probably going to fix it, figure it all out, be a two seed. But the clay piece worries me because we saw even in the playoffs, very inconsistent. And, and if he's not great, this team will struggle uh, and not win another title this year. I'm doubling down on my take that. All I wish is that they did not win the title last year in that fraudulent season because this would be amazing to watch this whole thing burn. The collapse. The (laughs) collapse would have been amazing. Unfortunately, it's not because Clay can do things like he did versus Booker where it's just be like four rings. What are you going to do? Could he have done three rings? Sure, but two of those came with Durant and not since 2018. This is a different era now, you know, and so he couldn't do it unless they had won last year, which they did. Clay's done. Um, I'm sorry to say, like, he's just not that guy anymore. And it doesn't mean he's done as an NBA player. It means he's done as an all-star. He's done as a guy you can count on. He'll, he's going to have some crazy shooting spurts like he did in the playoffs last year. He's going to have some really bad games too. What they've always been able to, uh, cover it up with is great defense. So maybe this all works itself out when the young guys get more burn and they get more comfort and Draymond figures it out. But right now that's not a cohesive unit. Like you said, it's between eras. Steph is still playing awesome. Uh, so that's a really good sign. And that at age 34, he's still killing it. He's still, what, top five player in the league, likely headed to, to you know, first team All-NBA or at least a really close debate with a guy like Ja. Um, we'll see, man. We'll, we'll have to see because the signs have not been good. Like, when I saw they lost back-to-back games over the weekend to uh, Detroit and to um, Charlotte <laughs> early, but... You start to wonder, like, okay, what are we doing that we're not only losing, but we gave up, what, 128 points to the Detroit Pistons, who are a fun team, who've got a lot of fun guys on their team, but, like, have some pride. Like, where are we headed? And maybe it's just like, look, guys, it's October. Like, you want us to care about this when we've been playing into late June, like, five out of the last eight years? Like, things are going to take their time. Um, I just worry. Yeah, yeah, but look, at the same token – the West is not maybe as great as we thought either. Like Phoenix looks like they're awesome. And I think maybe we all greatly exaggerated their demise, but Minnesota <laughs> hasn't been very sharp. Denver has definitely not been sharp. We already talked about the Clippers. D- Dallas as ridiculous as Luca has been, has been uneven. So those were what four of the top seven teams. The mm-hmm. Pelicans have been great, but if the Warriors played the Pelicans in the series, like you're probably going to trust the team with the pedigree who's done it there before. So yeah, maybe what you said is right. There'll be a two seed, and this will all be fodder yeah. for the locker room, you know, billboard, uh, blackboard, not blackboard, whiteboard. <laughs> yeah, but once again, this is where, um, you know, the Draymond thing, it's not the reason they're losing now, like the Draymond controversy. But these things can rear their heads in the, the ugliest moments, right? So I'm curious to see if this team really does continue to struggle. Does the Draymond situation get 
you know, more tenuous and, and does it cause a little bit more friction than, you know, when everyone's winning and everyone's happy, no one cares. You get over it fast. Um, but then if he starts chirping, he's not happy. You know, So those are some things to watch out for if they don't get it together. So, yeah. All right. Before we conclude, I was looking at Bill Simmons tweets. He actually said he would do the deal for both first, just not one of them. Well, he first said uh, proposed the deal, and then he said I would say no for Sac- from Sacramento's side. But that was then just he, one first. That was just that the was one seven first. first. Yeah. Here's what he said. My take: I'd actually trade Fox for Russ plus those two Laker firsts. I'm getting 23 cap space, two massive assets from a poorly run team, plus more Mitchell minutes, just in a better spot long term. Question: If you're running Sac, what's the ceiling for Fox? Is there any path to him being an All Star or a top 35 guy? Can he ever be one of the best eight guys at his position? How would you respond to that quickly before we go? Um, what, he said ceiling top 30? 35. Easy. But more importantly, Easy. can he be an all-star, which is top 25? Oh, definitely. Can he be uh, number one on a championship team? Probably not. But, uh, you know, you're talking about the two Lakers picks, and the Lakers aren't franchise I mean, actually, in recent years, they have finished at the top of the lottery, number two pick many times. But they're never incentivized to, to outright tank. So those picks may not be that great. And Fox's look, for all his faults, we're going to have to talk about Fox in a separate episode. But you know, he's shooting 39% from three. He's been amazing on defense. He's been a catalyst on offense uh, with multiple 30-point games. I don't know what more you want. Like, Has he been amazing on defense? He ha- He's absolutely been amazing. Like, you look at his numbers, his advanced numbers, despite how good his counting stats are, the advanced numbers are still not keeping up. Whether it's PER, whether it's win shares, whether it's block box plus minus, four, whatever you want to look at, he has not. And, like, the numbers are good, but those none of those are justifying him. And for the most part, there's obviously some variance, but for the most part, those numbers are, tell at least in congregate, in aggregate, tell a decent job. I can't speak. I got to get off this podcast. There's in, telling in aggregate a pretty good story about whether that player is a winning player or not. I mean, the, the Kings aren't winning. So a lot of the stats that correlate there's correlation with winning, there. Yeah. there is correlation with some of those advanced stats and winning. And they're not winning, but that's not his fault. I mean, our, our problem is um, it's much more beyond Fox. But anyways, the point is the Lakers aren't getting a talent like Fox. They aren't. They're not. That's a even if you may think Fox is overrated, that's a pipe dream. So back to the point of I don't know what they're they're hoping to achieve with the those two picks. I think the ceiling is Buddy Heald and, and Miles Turner. Um, yeah. <laughs> Can't wait for that seven seven two matchup with the with the Warriors and Buddy Heald getting toasted on pick and rolls. Buddy um, Heald is is a lot like um, Malik Monk. Watching him now as a and so. For Lakers fans who think they're getting something really special, they should not be too surprised when he well, makes the same is, mistakes. So it gives you the same outbursts and scoring, but he'll make Field the same. He's an all-world shooter. You just can't do anything else. Yeah, which is a problem. Yeah. All right, that's a wrap for us. This was a little bit of a dark uh, episode. Uh, we'll try to come back next week talking about the teams that have pleasantly surprised us. We we sort of alluded to a few. But we had to get through the dregs of the NBA, just given the notoriety, given the uh, the story today, really, that led the episode with the Doka replacing Steve Nash in Brooklyn. We think it's uh, not official, but but that's the the way it's headed. Um, 
Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on social media. We will talk to you next week. Peace.